Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. be a challenge for us to bring up weed and or aliens during this one there's gonna be a lot of semen jokes though (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait for this fifth grade humor Uh, hello everybody welcome to the gems of history podcast how are all the gemstones doing out there (laughs) that's the first time i've ever said it why are they all ghosts (laughs) (laughs) i don't know we are i hope our listeners aren't ghosts but if they are listening and you are a ghost thank you Honestly, there's a ton of things to do in the afterlife. Really appreciate you listening to us. Going out of your way just to listen. To listen We're to just the, the number history. one podcast of hell. <laughs> <laughs> just from the Gems of Horror episodes. Hey, I'll take it. More listeners is better. <laughs> right. But hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Gems of History. We are back coming at you with hopefully a, a little more of a lighthearted topic rather than some family murder. But, you know, it happens. <laughs> Right, yep, yeah, no no family murders. Um, a lot of shooting and guns, though, in this one. Yeah, and I don't think it'll be this episode, but the next episode. We're going to talk about how we did some, re- well, not us specifically, but the Americans did some really bad things to the people living in America. Yeah, stop, yeah, stop me if you've heard this one before. We kind of <laughs> saw some land and resources, and not we, like me and you, but the American people saw, and the American government saw land and resources, and like, Give me that. Yeah, we but, could we could see all the land and resources that we want, like you and me personally, but we right. would just get driven out of there immediately. That is correct. So, <laughs> that would not work. We would not put up a fight. No. You with your wooden katana and me with a... I don't even know. <laughs> uh, have some respect. It's a wooden katana and a military like general's hat. That is true. You, have, you do have the head protection. Too. Right. Yeah, that'll stop an arrow for sure. I don't think it will. Um, it was $10 off Amazon, so I guess that's all in the hands of Jeff Bezos. Yeah, looking at you, Jeff. Yeah. How you doing today, Ev? Doing pretty good. Honestly, it's a Friday recording, which we haven't done in a long time, so... It's a that... vodka Red Bull recording, everyone. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. We're just ripping vodka Red Bulls, and honestly can't... Oh, never mind. I was going to say, I can't even remember last time I had a vodka Red Bull. I'm like, oh yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> or three weeks ago, long. something like that, but... Yeah, so you're going to get a little bit extra pep in our step, I guess, for yeah, this one. Yeah, I, I definitely needed it. It was my first week where I went to the gym five days in a row. Hell so yeah, I'm let's just like, snap that up. I'm snap. like, yes, me, but I'm also just like, I want to just lay in my bed. Did you ever have like, you just like kind of wake up in the middle of the night, like already sore? Yeah. Like, you know, like the classic, oh, I just woke, like worked out, and then the next morning's going to be sore. But then your body just kind of wakes up and just tells you, ow. Yeah, and you're just like, I got to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And then you like step out of bed and you're like, oh, my uh, legs. Then you just kind of have the little debate. Does risk it? Does fall back asleep? Is this worth it? Right. 
How much yeah. do I really have to go? Yeah, I've been doing like on and off a day for like, I lift Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday, I do cardio. So Wednesday, I do legs. So Thursday, doing cardio is just like the worst day ever. I despise cardio, but good for us doing a lot of lifting, especially with our photo shoot. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. We've, we've been doing a lot lately. We've right. been busy boys. And we're both going to Florida, so yep. that's going to be fun. Got to get that beach bot on. I know. We're going to be so... T- Those gems, so hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> Those gems. But as interesting as our vacations are... Yeah. Do you want to hear more about our vacations and how <laughs> yeah, much we work out? I know everyone out there is clamoring to hear more about our, our details, about our personal plans, but I think people are more interested in hearing about a vacation that America tried to take to Canada. They tried to visit the old wintry north. Yeah. And, um, who'd have thunk? The Canadians can fight. Yeah. The Canadians are like, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, mostly the British, but also the Canadians. Right. We're like... You guys want in? America, kind of cool. And then they just were like, nah, you're going to be pretty suspect for the next 200 years. We're, we don't want any part of <laughs> Since you. Since you started, you've been a little on the edge of... <laughs> right. Since 1776, you guys have been a little, little sus. Yeah. So if you haven't already read the title of the episode, we're going to be talking about the War of 1812 today. I was actually thinking like, you know, our intro with the... This is actually like... Yeah, the perfect, perfect. time it yep. <laughs> <laughs> this one and then the uh the one we did it was like episode three where we did pickets charge those oh, are like right. the two that it's worked like perfectly for so far maybe right. the lizzie borden one but i feel like it's like, oh god <laughs> <laughs> the lizzie borden one i was actually the one singing <laughs> i was just on the acapella that one yes yeah, this is uh, this one that Evan wanted to uh, cover this week because I took over the last three weeks with my Ruby Ridge topic. So Evan was like, hey, let's do one that I want to do for once. Yeah, I had enough of your shenanigans. <laughs> I was trying Stella. to monopolize the podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> we got rid of Mark. I just need to take over <laughs> you. <laughs> slowly. Yeah. It'll just get to the point where you're just going into my basement and recording episodes by yourself. I'm like, wait, are, are, wait. We, are we recording? Wait, and we're like, you, this, this, what's this we? Can you do this at home like, yeah. if you're going to record on your own? <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> you just walk in, set up the table, and go. <laughs> hey, sometimes you just got to assert your authority. But yes. This is this is one that honestly I didn't know much about and I feel like most people don't know a lot about because we didn't really get taught about it because we didn't win. So it's Yeah, so we kind of <laughs> just like struck this from the uh the record books yeah. when you're being taught this in American history. But no, like the biggest reason why I thought that this war is interesting is because you got a question wrong about it in grade school. That's exactly what I was about to bring up. <laughs> and I'm here. 18 years later to defend my honor so our teacher in fourth grade we were learning about i believe like it was like a week after we learned about this war and he asked me evan when was the war of 1812 and me even then it was like well it's he's obviously not asking me what the year is and so i said june (laughs) and then this grown-ass man started laughing at a eight-year-old and the entire class started laughing at me too because yep. <laughs> he's like no it was in 1812 <laughs> and everyone just <laughs> erupted into laughter and yep. i'm just sitting there like ah what a fond memory for me <laughs> oh yeah uh yeah and i do remember it that's the one thing about my childhood 
grade school moments i guess that just stuck with me forever apparently i don't even remember like what prompted him to just like out of the blue ask you that question but he wanted to be a butthead oh uh, yeah i was thinking of that when i was researching this i'm like i wonder if evan remembers that oh can you tell i remember it (laughs) definitely can (laughs) the reason why i want to talk about this war so much is just because like it's so not talked about and it was like a invasion of america i mean we'll get to it later but the White House was burnt down during yep. this war, and just a fun thing for you kids at home to do, if your dad or anyone in your life like thinks they're a history buff, just ask them to name any battle of the War of 1812, because like we were doing research, I had no idea about a majority of these battles. I knew a little bit about the Battle of New Orleans, which we'll get in part two, but the battles just had no resonance like in my brain and this entire war did i think the only one that i remembered by name and i knew nothing about it even after that point that i just knew the name was the battle of tippecanoe i think that was like the only one that i knew the name of right and that was before the war yeah so it's just like (laughs) i don't i don't know any of this mostly just because it's such a fun name yeah exactly and it's also how uh um we'll get to it later but William Henry Harrison. Yes. I got some information about him that's pretty fun. Is it juicy? (laughs) It's pretty juicy. Mm. Never let me make that noise again. (laughs) (laughs) But this war basically saw the United States telling the British to run it back because even after 1776, 36 years later, we're like, let's do it again. We haven't had enough. We want more. Come back. And it was a war that would decide the fate pretty much the entire native american presence um in a in both the east coast and also majority in the midwest during the westward expansion this was like the u.s winning the featherweight boxing and then they're like i want to fight my weight class up and then they're just like let's do it again except we're like not in this position to fight a war yeah and they look up and it's just mike tyson yeah it was not it was not our like smartest idea to fight this war but we did it and we say we won it but we didn't win no we most certainly got the star spangled banner out of it though right we got a sick song out of it um andrew jackson also was made a president yep which not great but this war also like really reunited like the american people during a time of like a great divide so in case you were wondering when america was formed when we came out the womb, <laughs> um, couple year it took a couple years for the uh, party system to actually start to kick in, and since then we've been divided on every single uh, major topic or issue in American history. But especially came to a head during right before the War of eighteen twelve. But because of the War of eighteen twelve, it actually like brought us back together and united us. Yeah, it actually like disbanded one of the major parties in the u.s at the time right and like pretty much set up the beginning of what would be our two-party system Mm -hmm. which great yay thanks can we blame this on the british (laughs) that was their plan the entire time no because we did this to ourselves yeah as with most of the issues the u.s has right (laughs) it's like how did this happen who do we have to scapegoat for this it's like us look in the mirror but diving kind of like the background because you know, why did this war even happen? Why did we, the 50-year-old, not at this point, 36-year-old uh, United States, why did we want to fight one of the global superpowers at the time? But 
to answer this, we actually need to go to a different war. So, Simon, if you've heard of this before, Britain and France were at war. Dun, dun. And if you don't get that joke, Britain and France are just almost always at war. Um, through the Hundred Years' War, then we also, of course, have these wars. And just little spats throughout the entire you know, history of Europe. They're always at each other's necks. And <clears throat> in particular... Damn short Napoleon causing all these issues. Fun fact, Napoleon was actually 5'7". Yeah, he wasn't that short. So <laughs> that was just the... Can you imagine? Like, that's the most successful smear campaign oh, yeah. of all time. 100%. Like, 5'7", like, shout out to Short Kings. Like The prop of you, okay, we'll get into it, like, a couple times in this story, but the propaganda machine just, like, was full on going oh for it. This, yeah. yeah, there's so many different people in this story that get so petty about, like, whether it's height or, like, how someone's name sounds or something. It's just, like, everyone at the same time was like we're gonna make everyone feel terrible about themselves right they went after your physical appearance quite a bit yeah <laughs> can't imagine that happening today it's not like we get a bunch of likes or not yeah right <laughs> but britain france and a majority of europe were actually involved in the napoleonic wars at this time which think of those wars as world war zero like it was a huge conflict in europe but also globally because both britain and france and majority of european countries actually had colonies still even at this time around the world and fighting took took a lot of different forms whether it was land sea um whether it was in india whether it was you know in europe like it was literally a global conflict yeah because when we were fighting 18 like the war of 1812 against the british France was in Russia trying mm-hmm. to take over Russia. So it's like, that's how far this war span. They're also fighting Britain at the same time as Russia. They try to do on both fronts and invade Russia. Yeah. Napoleon then, was the original. <laughs> and th- 130 years later, Hitler would be like, let's run it back. He's like, but it didn't happen to me. Yes, I'm better than Napoleon, who was one of the greatest army generals in the history of the world right i'm better than him hitler was i like, failed out of art art school <laughs> <laughs> still mind-boggling that failing art school led him to do what he did yep not entirely he still had like a little hate i'm sure but can you imagine if there was just like a world around painting from hitler instead of yeah your people are like buying classical art from him instead you're just at someone's apartment, like, oh, you got the, you got that Hitler up on the wall. But both countries, both so both Britain and France, in an effort to break the stalemate at the time, tried to enforce really strict trade restrictions on the other. So, for example, laws such as the Orders in Council passed by Britain required neutral countries to obtain a license from British authorities before trading with France or French colonies. And France essentially did the same thing in turn to British and British colonies. In response, United States President Thomas Jefferson then decided to place his own full trade embargo on all trade. Yeah. And uh, for those economy or econ- econ- economists. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's like knows how an economy works in a little like vague sense. Right. Um, this led the U.S. to a complete economic depression. Yeah. Completely hurt the U.S. economy while having 
no effect on the European nations. No, they don't need us. No. It's so <laughs> it's so American of us to just be like, ah, we'll stop trading with them. That'll show them. It's like, like, no, if, you don't need us. Right. It'd honestly be like if an island country just decided to say, like, we're done trading with the United States, like, today. Yeah. Like, it really meant nothing to the European powers at Or the it'd time. be like if we told China that we're not trading with them anymore. It's like, okay, you're just not going to get, like, 70% of your goods then. Yeah, you just won't get things. Yeah, and then, <laughs> then your entire economy will collapse and you'll have a terrible time. Right, and then explain to Americans why they're not getting anything for Christmas this year. <laughs> <laughs> They've all been bad. And explain you imagine what... Biden just getting on a press conference oh, saying God. you've all been bad he's already he's already yelling at reporters at press conferences <laughs> i can't imagine that day oh goodness but um eventually this was replaced so the trade embargo was replaced by the non-intercourse act no one laugh no one laugh <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of fifth grade humor in this oh absolutely episode. <laughs> uh this act specifically prohibited trade with britain and france but it also proved ineffective and in turn was replaced with a May 1810 bill stating that if either power dropped trade restrictions against the United States, Congress would in turn resume non-intercourse with the opposing power. It's, it's <laughs> so they were just like, first of all, we're not trading with anyone. Mm-hmm. And then they were just like, we're not trading with you two mm-hmm. who are our major trade partners. <laughs> We don't trade with many other people. Right. Oh, that's not going to work either? Okay, well, we'll trade with whichever one of you opens it back up first. <laughs> yeah, we went from two trading partners to none to maybe one of you. Yeah, the stance doesn't work if there's just one person. <laughs> right. And basically, Napoleon didn't confirm that he would stop the restrictions, but he hinted that he might potentially think about maybe... Stopping the trade restrictions. I'm not, not, not going to keep the trade restrictions going. (laughs) So President James Madison then decided to block all trade with Britain shortly after in November of that year. So that's kind of the first major point of how we got in the situation into the War of 1812. And there really are three major points. So trade being the first one. The second one is impressment well and just before we get to that like the going on the trade thing too at the same time britain was imposing like taxes saying like if you are trading with anyone in europe pretty much you have to land at a british port pay us a tax and then we will allow you to go in and trade with everyone else in europe Mm -hmm. so they're pretty much trying to monopolize trade by just like making people pay a tax up front without even like going into europe or uh, without going into britain so it's just like why are we paying you? This is pretty much like a service fee on a ticket. Like, I'm buying this online. What service are you providing me other than this website running? Like, that is the perfect way to describe it. Yeah. It's like, like, what are you going to do? Just not trade? Or like, what are you going to do? Just not buy the ticket? Yeah, exactly. So, And like we mentioned, Britain was the global superpower at the time. Their navy was insanely bigger than everyone else. So they could do yeah, this. You've, you've seen Captain Jack Sparrow try and go up against them. Right, and the third one, like the East India Trading Company, like those ships. Yeah, those things are big. I can't believe we talked about pirates. Well, actually, in episode two, or the part two, we'll talk about pirates a little bit, but didn't expect pirates to come up in this one. the right time period. Right. So this was like just after the golden age of piracy. 
If you want more information on that, go back and listen to our Pirates episode. I don't remember what number, but I think it's like nine. So That sounds about right. But anyway, cause number two of the War of 1812 impressment. So this is another huge reason for the war and basically what impressment was and how it was sold to the American public. As the British were stealing our seamen. Yes, they went in <laughs> in the cover of Dark Knight. Well, <laughs> never mind. That's too far. And they were basically impressing or stealing American sailors on merchant ships and putting them into service of the crown see, and then to fight in the Napoleonic Wars. See, you said it in the in the proper way. Right. It's more fun than the way I said it. <laughs> the thing is, like, I had a choice there. I could either go super dark with it or just yeah. think of the episode role. Yeah. It's like, do I want to just outrage our listeners or do I want to just keep it, keep well, the ball going? Okay, first of all, we forgot to mention our sources. So oh, but wow. one of my sources that I watched, which was the Top 10's YouTube channel, the way he would phrase it like every time he talked about it, he was just like either they were impressing our semen or he was like they were stealing our semen, which put us in a sticky situation. I'm like, you know, you know what you're saying. You right know now. exactly yeah. what you're doing, friend. Yeah. Do you want to go through all the sources now? Yeah, we should probably mention our sources before we forget. Right. I use the Crash Course YouTube channel, Top 10's YouTube channel, and I got a Smith's or a Business Insider article that I'll get to later. But Business Insider is wild. Like, they'll just randomly yeah. put out like an incredible history article. Yeah, and then there's just like the NASDAQ at the yeah. top. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my sources history.com, worldatlas.com, the YouTube channel, Knowledgeia, a Research paper, A British Perspective on the War of 1812 by Andrew Lambert. And then finally, nps.gov. But back to impressment. So, like I mentioned, this was basically sold to the American public that the British are stealing our sailors and making them serve in the British Army. The British Navy, to be more specific. However, what was really happening, I know, Jacob, you have more information on this, was that British was basically, the Brit, the British were basically just taking back their own people that kind of fled town. Yeah, because, like, a bunch of British people came to the U.S. and, like, got tat. apparently were getting tattoos of, like, flag, like American flags and eagles and, and stuff. And barbed wire across yeah. their bicep. <laughs> yeah. And they were just, like, pretending to be Americans so they could escape the Napoleonic Wars. And, like, I, there's other reasons, but that was the main one, because people were just sick of fighting France. So they were just, like getting on American merchant ships and then the British would capture those ships, take the people on board. And like 75% of the time, almost it was another British man that was trying to escape that was getting pulled back to Britain. So it was really like not, it wasn't that big of a deal for us, but mm -hmm. it was just like the principle of it where right. that that's where Americans started to get really upset about it, which this was still a legal practice by British law. So they could still technically do it, but, we saw it as just like a violation of our rights as a new country that we just established three decades before. Do you think one of the sailors that got impressed had a don't tread on me tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> a don't step on snake. <laughs> I can't believe you're doing this right now. <laughs> but I found an interesting quote, just kind of talk a little bit more about impressment from Andrew Lambert in one of the sources I just read, A British Perspective on the War of 1812. And 
I'll actually be doing a couple um, or reading a couple of quotes from his paper just because I thought it was super interesting to dive into kind of what the British actually thought about this war and like how it's taught in their schools and portrayed in all their like either pop culture or just in their society in general. So this is a quote from him. No one doubted Britain's rights and press her sailors and all blamed the Americans for employing British seamen when the Royal Navy needed them. A decade of American complaints and economic restrictions, so from basically 1800 to this war, uh, only served to convince the British that Jefferson and Madison were pro-French and violently anti-British. And consequently, when America finally did declare war, she had very few friends in Britain. Many remembered the War of Independence. Some had lost fathers or brothers in the fighting while others were the sons of loyalists driven from their homes. So, to sum that up, the British people heard that the Americans weren't, you know, having any of this impressment nonsense, and they were like, too bad, so sad, they're not even your people, as well as we're still bitter about 1776. Yeah, for, I mean, yeah, that was kind of a big deal, considering right. we just, like, fought the world superpower and declared our own independence mm -hmm. so that's kind of a big deep like loss for them and now they're in the middle of another giant war and they're just like well we need people to win this war and yeah. we're not afraid to take your people because you still are a fledgling country so right and they're like just want to go back to one of the quotes the british thought that jefferson and madison were pro-french like violently pro-french and despised the british and that's how it was sold to the public as well to kind of, you know, push them into like let's let's actually do this war. Well, especially when America opened back trading with France, because then the British right. were just like, no, 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 <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. This is not happening. So there's just like multiple reasons. Like they were all pretty surface level stuff. Like obviously trading is a major thing, but I mean British people or the British government was kind of just being dicks about it because they were trying to control literally every aspect of how trading happened in Europe. So it's mm -hmm. like you can't expect that to go well when you're trying to monopolize international trade. It is a very bold thing to try. Yeah, especially in this time period. Like right. this is all physical like you have to face to face do all of this. You had to hand someone like a doubloom. Yeah. <laughs> so real, I don't know how you think that's pound, gonna go well every time. Like someone's just gonna show up at port and shoot you eventually because they're not gonna want to pay. Right. So right, right. But then finally the third and final major cause of the War of eighteen twelve revolved around the American efforts to expand westward. So in 1803, mostly as a means to raise funds for future wars, our short king Napoleon sold the Louisiana Territory in North America to the newly independent United States for $15 million. This has been maybe the best trade deal in history. Ooh, <laughs> that was a good trauma. Oh, thank you. I don't know <laughs> if that's a compliment, but... That's, let's back it up. That was a good Trump and impersonation <laughs> thank you <laughs> you have far better far much better hair than uh i Donald. would like to think so and my face isn't as orange <laughs> right yet see until now, i go to florida <laughs> right oh i'm gonna get burnt like crazy anyway a transaction the louisiana purchase um this basically meant that the u.s who already had a chip on its on its shoulder from defeating a superpower literally doubled in size overnight with the signing of a paper 
This 800,000 square mile edition, which spanned from the Mississippi to the Rockies, excited the American populace and almost immediately caused thousands of settlers to head out in search of new land and opportunity. Unbelievable. They got to sign one paper and got 800,000 square miles for $15 million. Then I got to sign like a book to get a house. And I still got to pay over, over market value. That's <laughs> right. ridiculous. I know. What is, what is our, our economy is just in shambles from 1803. <laughs> Unbelievable what 200 years has done. That is insane. Like, had to sign a piece of paper. Yeah. It's like you just own 800,000 800, square miles. Here you go. Here's an invisible border where you can just keep expanding it until you want to stop. Right. And then they also did a pinky swear to really sign the deal. <laughs> but as you're probably all thinking, uh, Literally all that land was preoccupied by some people, by the Native Americans. And American expansion... That's just what big government wants you to think. They want you, right? <laughs> The American expansion uh, led to on-again, off-again battles between the different tribes and the newly established American governors of the various territories. So once we acquired this land, it was quickly set up into different territories such as you know, Indiana... And safe to say, Native Americans were like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, so America was like, we're going to go expand into these lands that are west of us that definitely, totally, absolutely don't have people there already. And then the Native Americans, uh, one quote that I found from a guy who we're going to be talking about quite a bit in a little little bit here, uh, named Tecumseh, who was a, a major Indian leader. Uh, A quote from him, he said, You want, by your distinctions of Indian tribes and allotting to each a particular tract of land, to make them war with each other. You never see an Indian come and endeavor to make the white man to do so. Mm. Basically saying, you guys put us into different areas and gave us different names, basically, to make us go against each other. Because now that you're giving us certain sections of land, we wanna, we're going to want to take it from other tribes who have more land or whatever. And right. basically just making them war with each other, which it's pretty much setting up them to fail and us to just not have to intervene. But, I mean, obviously we do because we always do. But, yeah, it, it just was not a very good deal on any front for the Native Americans. Right. Yeah, like you mentioned, we basically forced Native Americans to fight each other for what little lands they still had left. It's like an it's like a countrywide cockfighting ring where we're just like watching these two mm. people that have literally nothing to do with anything that we're about fight against each other and we're putting bets on who's going to win. Like, right. Right, right. But so the westward expansion eventually led to or eventually kind of came all to a head at the Battle of Tippecanoe. So at the time, like we kind of mentioned, the U.S. government was very much engaged in a very aggressive policy of seizing land from Native Americans. And a lot of these efforts, like Jacob mentioned, uh, definitely alarmed the different chiefs. So like our main man, Tecumseh, who formed a pan-tribal confederation to resist the white man on two Native lands. Tecumseh and his brother, oh man, I forgot about how hard uh, the same was. Let's see if you can get it. Tenks Watawa. There you go. Let's go. Who was a holy man known as the prophet, and on this podcast he will henceforth be known as the prophet. <laughs> hey, make it easy for us. Yeah. 
Uh, they eventually founded the village of Prophetstown, which was near the Tippecanoe River in northwest Indiana. There, they started to form a rallying point for new recruits and new tribes to their cause to repel uh, United States expansion. Tecumseh raised an army of roughly 1,100 men and marched to confront the United States troops who were led by Indiana Governor William Henry Harrison. Ah, what a guy. WHH. He's going to have a real good presidential can- or a campaign, and then he's going to not have a very good presidential like assignment. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> did someone get sick and die? <laughs> did someone forget their jacket? <laughs> literally. <laughs> he literally didn't listen to his mom yeah. a single time. Uh, oh, I can't wait to talk about that. It's so funny. Yeah, but the governor, uh, so William Henry Harrison, set up camp and scheduled a council with the Indians for the following day. So they arrived at the Tippecanoe River, set up camp, and swiftly set up a council. But at around 4 a.m. on November 7th, the Prophet led 600 warriors in an ambush. The attack caught the sleeping American camp totally by surprise. Pickets and sentries were overrun, and soldiers awoke in their tents the crack of gunfire and the whistling of arrows. Which, this is kind of surprising because Tecumseh was like kind of the warlike brother. And mm-hmm. like the prophet was just kind of trying to organize all the people in the background, like right. pretty much the diplomatic one. So for him to be the one to lead this, ba- like lead this ambush, is kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. But, oh, absolutely! Especially like the amount of sway um, the prophet had just with like doing that background work. Like he was the speaker and oh, organizer. He, he was very much like the face of this confederation of, right. of Indians. So. Mm-hmm. Harrison later described the onslaught as a monstrous carnage. But his troops did manage to stand their ground during two hours of scattered hand-to-hand combat. Finally, as dawn broke, Harrison ordered a counterattack that forced the, Indi- that forced the Native Americans into a general retreat. His troops spent the rest of the day licking their wounds and fortifying their camp. The following day, they marched on Prophetstown, which the Indians had already evacuated and burnt to the ground. Fun fact, the U.S. actually lost more combatants in this battle, but William Henry Harrison was still celebrated as a hero. And this battle, actually, he was celebrated as such a hero for this. This led him pretty much straight into the White House. Yeah, and that's not going to be the first time that someone from this this whole war of time Ends up in the White House, <laughs> which is just wild that we don't talk about side tangent. Wild that we don't talk about this war more because it led to two. Yeah, granted, Henry Harrison did not have too much of an impact in no, his time of the presidency, no. <laughs> but, but you have to give it to him. He's on the list. Still, the reason why he ended up there. Did someone have a case of the sniffles? <laughs> Do you think we'd ever get canceled for making fun of dead presidents? Who cares? Right. Um. Regardless of the outcome, uh, the battle showed that the Native Americans needed help to stave off the American expansion. And they needed an ally that was close. So, they turned to the British colony of Canada. Well, all right, then. What, what, how can we help? Is that your Canadian accent? No, it was a British accent. I guess they didn't develop their Canadian accents at this point. It was still, still mostly still British. Still mostly British, and... yeah. I'm, I'm sure Americans still had somewhat of an accent, too. So. 
Oh, without a doubt. That's kind of crazy to think of, just George Washington with a British accent. Yeah, because what, we're on like seventh or eighth president, so like we're not that far into being a country yet. Oh, right, only 36 years. I guess we have been colonies for that before that for like another 100 years, so maybe we didn't right. have that bad of an accent. Maybe it was just a completely different accent than what we have oh, today. Oh, I'm sure it is. Don't Anywho, ask us to do it. <laughs> please don't ask me to do it. You've heard my, you just, heard my British last I week. I just tried to do British, so... But by late 1811, uh, new members of con- Congress who were elected that year, led by Henry Clay and John C. Calhoun, began to agitate for war based on their indignation over British violations of maritime rights, so back to the impressment stuff that we're talking about, as well as Britain's encouragement of Native American hostility against the westward expansion. And this is actually where a lot of, like, American conspiracy, whoa, whoa, everyone gets shocked, there's American conspiracy. Uh, this is, Literally from the signing of Declaration, oh, I think there's been a conspiracy oh, yeah. in our And country. this is where, like, a lot of it actually starts, because at the time, not only were the British impressing our seamen, oh, uh, <laughs> they were, there were so many rumors going around that the British were planting like Canadian people coming to the U.S. pretty much in positions in the government so that they could infiltrate and effectively recolonize America because mm-hmm. everyone thought, well, they're not going to just take this line down. They're not going to let us be our own country. So they're going to do whatever they can to try and make us another colonization of the British so there's so many different rumors getting spread, and Henry Clay was one of the main factors in this, leading like what will be come to be known as the War Hawks. And at the same time, there's there's also like now a major conspiracy that's carried over from this, saying that uh, Nathan Rothschild, who if you don't know, the Rothschild family is like one of the major federal banking families in the world and one of the richest families in the world and has been for 200 years now but basically like the american banking system was set up as like a a, a federal bank in 197 or 1791 sorry and they didn't want to do it and then alexander hamilton i believe it was pretty much convinced the the government by writing 15,000 words, which Hand had to hurt after that, <laughs> he wrote uh, a rebuttal uh, like saying, we should open a federal banking system. And they're like, okay, we'll do this. So in se- 19- 1791, they gave it a 20-year charter. So that expires in when? 1811. Mm. So when does this war happen? 1812. So conspiracy people now say like, oh, well, the Rothschilds pretty much got Alexander Hamilton into the family so that he would pretty much do what they wanted. And there's a bunch of different quotes and stuff that they pull from sources that apparently don't exist to say that this is what happened. And then basically they bankrupt America in order for us to go to war so that they would reinstitute the banking system again so that the Rothschilds could get their hands back into the banking system in America from Germany at the time. So it's just like, this stuff has been around for a while. And then there's even conspiracy about the, the British stealing sh- or buying sheep from farms in Connecticut so that we couldn't use them for our textile industry. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, you guys, this this has been around. This is not like a new wave of things happening. 
we've known. <laughs> yeah. And then after the war, everyone was like spitting different rumors about different candidates for president saying like, mm-hmm. oh, they did this and I, I didn't do that. So this is my presidency. Right. Like early smear campaigns and there's mudslinging and stuff. So nothing's new, guys. It's, it's been around since we've pretty much started. From day one, yeah. if you will. So conspiracy is not a new thing. Especially in terms of election years. Oh, yeah. Or just elections in general, I guess I should say. Yeah. Like, there's a political cartoon I saw that was, like, an Irish guy and uh, a German guy carrying a ballot box away, pretty much saying, like, immigrants are the reason why your candidate's going to lose or whatever. So it's just, like, at the, huh. at the same time as, like, smearing a candidate, they're also, like, pushing all this anti-immigration agenda and stuff. So not only are we just disenfranchising an entire people that live in the country that we're taking over but we're also disenfranchising the people that are coming to live in the country that we are now trying to run it is wacky yeah i mean you just laid out some of the biggest issues of this last election that have just been a pain in the ass to the american people since like 1800s it's a meaning like the issues have plagued us like that's the pain in the ass like we can't get over villainizing a certain group of people yeah or using them as a scapegoat well and now both parties are so much more radicalized on the ends than they were back then so it's just like everything's amplified but it's just like a wonder that we somehow became a like cohesive country enough to like become a power how how did we become how did we how did we become a superpower (laughs) it makes no sense literally how did we get here (laughs) how have we only had one civil war ah man it's wild Honestly, like, wow, that is kind of shocking. I didn't realize that that was such like a major thing until I just said it out loud. Right <laughs> now, the yeah, wild. it's like during this election, like with James Madison, it's like, oh, gotta watch out for immigrants. They might, or gotta watch out for the foreign power. They're leading candidates away. Yeah, and they're it, spying on you, the it, British. And now we're like, oh, but the Russians. They are spying on us. Literally, just in like four ways. or five episodes ago, we talked about how the Irish were like so downtrodden, which started the mafia. Like mm-hmm. th- it started before eighteen hundred. Like it, this is literally nothing new. So it took us. Oh, a, yeah. It took us a while to get to right. like even tolerance of Irish people. Yeah, like of Catholics. So yeah. it's yeah. Oh my gosh! I think it was JFK. Yeah. He was, the he first was Catholic, Catholic yeah, yeah, and everyone thought that like they thought you elect him, the Pope is basically gonna be the president. Yeah, they thought the Pope was gonna run everything. It's just yeah, like, you, I don't think you know how this works. <laughs> he does not report like directly. <laughs> he doesn't go to the Vatican on the weekends, right? And like get like blood oaths with the Pope to he like just daps up the Pope. Like what's good? Yeah, literally. <laughs> wow. Well, that was probably and, one of my favorite side tangents of all time. Yeah, I mean, we just laid out a lot of like very important key factors of American society in like maybe 10 yeah. minutes. So to sum that up, Americans are constantly scared of something in one way or another. And unfortunately, almost always takes the form of being scared of a certain group of people or a certain belief system. But they weren't scared of Canada. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Canada was being a big old slut and America was like, I want in. Hmm. <laughs> I get that. All right. That's the second time I made that noise. (laughs) (laughs) I never told you to not make it. So technically, that is true. But um, the Warhawks, so led by Henry Clay and John C. Calhoun, finally pushed then President James Madison to sign an official declaration of war against Britain 
which Congress would then subsequently vote for. This was an extremely diverse vote and like barely passed. Yeah, this is like a this shows like how close like or how contentious like the North and South were at this point even. Mm-hmm. Like that they, they did not get along very well. Oh no. So like Jacob just mentioned, so Western and Southern congressmen supported the war. They wanted to go to war. While federal like but were known as Federalists, so the Northern side so especially New Englanders and Massachusetts, um, basically, like I said, the northern colonies, if you will, did not want to go to war because they were the ones that actually benefited from trade with Britain. And we'll get to it later. This war had devastating effects on New England, especially. Yeah, and the South is like so agricultural, and mm-hmm. and they have slaves. So yeah. It's- you can already see that this is starting the divide that's it's not going to lead to anything bad but nothing only the, bad will happen between the north and the south not the bloodiest war in american history so many limbs lost oh. and lives but oh. so many limbs oh. so it just kind of like speaks to that divide a little bit more between essentially the north and the south new englanders were constantly advocating that the west and the south were basically just using this war as an excuse to a try to promote their own economy and b to expand us into the west as fast as possible for more resources and they were basically using this war as an excuse to push their agenda you can't see me but i'm almost nodding my head through the table in agreement (laughs) <laughs> yeah if you hear any banging in the background it's just jacob against it's just the stable. me being like yes they're right uh but this declaration of war actually took close to a month to reach the brit to the the, the the declaration of war actually took a month to actually reach the british and like this is america as a country's first declaration of war on someone else do you think they took like a big photo like, <laughs> first, first war, of war. <laughs> But before, before the uh, declaration of war reached the British, the British rescinded a lot of the trade restrictions that they had put on the United States. And this led to initial standstill, kind of seeing, like, who's going to blink first here? You know, who's going to, are they going to actually invade Canada? Are they actually going to lift trade restrictions? And to kind of just get, like, the British perspective, here's another quote from Andrew Lambert. In British eyes, the conflict with America was an annoying sideshow. The Americans had stabbed them in the back while they, the British, were busy fighting a total war against the French Empire, directed by their most inverted enemy. For a nation fighting Napoleon, James Madison was an annoying irrelevance. Consequently, the American war would be fought with whatever money, manpower, and naval force that could be spared. No more than 7% of the total British military effort. Which was a lot more than the American war effort, yes. even though it was only 7%. Yeah, it was. they had a lot more troops and a lot more ships than us. Yeah. Like a crazy amount more. And a more. lot more money than us. Global superpower going up against a... Newly born country. We're pretty much a gnat flying around their head. And yeah. they're just like, will you just go away? Right. They, so maybe a little bit of a spoiler where we're going to talk about later. Like 1812 is like in America, it's taught, oh, the War of 1812 happened. 
in the UK, 1812 is is a significant date because that's when they beat Napoleon. Yeah. Like, British was involved in, again, like, World War Zero, one of the first ever, like, global conflicts. They didn't have time for America. Yeah, it's... It's very important, like, I've realized to get news sources from outside of the U.S. Yeah. Just because, like, the vantage points are so much different when you listen to it from, like, even just BBC or something like that. So, mm. so in order to strike uh, the British first, United States forces pretty much immediately attacked Canada after, let's say, um, I believe it was like a month or so, they waited to see what the British would do. And then... We said, nah, let's let's get this thing started. And um, American officials were strangely optimistic about the invasion success, especially with how just we did not have troops really at the time. We had a very small army compared to compared to now. It's literally the reverse. <laughs> if you think about it. Oh, yeah. Bit, but... Yeah. I think one thing I read said we had like 7000 troops. Yes. So it's very small. And on the other side, the Canadian side, um, Sir Isaac Brock, who was a war veteran, had a ton of experience. Uh, he was in charge of basically defending Upper Canada, so basically where modern Ontario was. And a lot of United States legislators believe that Canada would welcome the United States forces with open arms and would view us as liberators. And then we'll later think they'll do that. Or well, we already thought that they would do that with the Native Americans, I guess. And then, oh, we'll try it again with a different group. Yep. Uh, the United at the time, the United States Secretary of War William Eustis declared, and I quote: "We can take Canada without soldiers. We have only to send officers in the provinces, and the people, disaffected toward their own government, will rally around our standard." So we thought that we would just go in and um, Canada would be like, we love you. We're now part of you. We are one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, General William Hull like said to the Canadian, like pretty much this is what he would say to the Canadians is, you will be emancipated from tyranny and oppression and restored to the dignified station of free men. And Canada was just like, nah, we're good. We're set. Um, you guys are kind of dicks. <laughs> yeah, you guys are kind of terrible. Now, I have to admit to my fellow Americans, we got smacked. <laughs> That's an understatement. During the start of the war, especially, we got it handed to us on multiple fronts. We we can you can probably count the number of battles that we won on both of your hands. Like that's how yeah. that's how many we've we actually won yeah. in this war. We were the U.S. was extremely unready for a war of this magnitude and. You know how we mentioned the uh, Northeast, like Northeastern states were very unhappy with the war? None of the militias joined the war effort because they were furious that was taking place in the first place. So to give an idea of what our army was at the time, it wasn't very centralized. It very much depended on militias, like state militias. And without those Northeast militias joining the war, we didn't have a lot of troops. And those Northeastern states had kind of every right to be pretty pissed so well and you got to keep in mind too the idea of like citizenship was way different back then yeah like, there wasn't like official citizenship in most of these places and that's why the whole thing with the british becoming american quote-unquote mm. american 
that's why that was so hard to track because it's like no one's really a citizen of anywhere. It's all just kind of free land. Right. So they just had to show their eagle tattoo. <laughs> yeah, really. So back to the New Englanders just being outraged about the war. So immediately when the war started, British warships blockaded the Northeast colonies, completely killing trade. And this not only caused economic depression in the area, uh, the people were completely starving, and everyone was poor, <laughs> to put it lightly. And by 1814, the starving citizens of Nantucket pledged neutrality in the war. The Massachusetts governor sent a secret emissary to negotiate a separate peace with the British. And some New Englanders even advocated for secession. In the final weeks of 1814, 26 delegates from across New England were meeting behind closed doors at the Hartford Convention. But they ultimately decided not to call for secession, but they heartily endorsed states' rights and nullification. Which is wild, like we always think of when you hear the word seceding, you think of the South. But fun fact, kids, the first states to actually think about seceding were actually the Northeast colon or Northeast states. Right. And like Aaron Burr's going to come through mm-hmm. after killing someone and completely distancing himself from everyone in society and then just being like, I'm going to take this newly acquired Louisiana territory and secede it from the rest of you guys and make it my own country. Yep. And everyone's like, no, no, you're not. No, 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 no. Enough of that. Come on, Aaron. So there's so many precedents that start in this war that just carry on for the next, like, 60, 70 years. Literally, nothing is new. (laughs) It started in early 1800s and has remained the same since. And we haven't heard, like, any of this from, like, school or anything, really. So This war had such a huge impact on just what America became and just really just isn't isn't talked about. Yeah. During the invasion, U.S. forces were repelled all along the border and even suffered one of the most humiliating losses in American history. Now, this occurred when General William Hull surrendered surrendered Fort Detroit, as well as his entire army, allowing the British to actually claim Michigan as a part of the British Empire. Hull's army, having received news of a nearby British force, fled the Canadian border to retreat back to Detroit. Once Hull realized the size of the invading force, which consisted of British, Canadian, and Tecumseh's Native American forces, and knowing that his daughter and grandchild were in Fort Detroit, he surrendered without a single shot being fired. Yeah, and the main reason why they went to Detroit in the first place is because they were planning on going through like New York or areas like that to mm-hmm. go into Canada. But everyone in that area was Federalist and hated the fact that we were even in this war. So yeah. that forced them to go west and go to Detroit, where they just got absolutely decked back into America. Oh, yeah. So. Now, this surrender actually also led to an extremely large uptick in Native American raids in the Great Lakes area. So, with losing the major fort in the area, this led to a lot of raiding, a lot of American settlers being captured, and at a separate separate battle later down the line, they would actually all be massacred on the walls of Fort Detroit when we tried to take it back the first time. 
So, not great, folks. Well, the Native Americans are being supported by the British. Like, they're giving them weapons and stuff. So, it's already building resentment towards the Native Americans because they're working with the British. And then the British pretty much, like, they're like, see ya. And then leave the Native Americans to try and beat us on their own. And such that, like, both the British and the Americans, the Americans are way more at fault here, but the yes. British definitely scapegoated them in <laughs> the worst way possible. Yeah, they said, peace, we're out of here. Yeah. Good luck. The next following major battle happened at Queenston Heights. So, Major General Stephen Van Rensselaer led 3,100 militia troops against the British forces in the Battle of Queenston Heights. He sent some advanced troops, which numbered roughly 900 of his total force, across the river where they were effectively pinned down by British, Canadian, and Native American forces. When the rest of the army caught up with them and saw what was happening, they were completely unwilling to join the fray. So they saw what was happening, and the militiamen said, nah, we're good. <laughs> Never mind. And the 900 men that went across the river were killed or captured. And the only benefit that came for the United States was that Sir Isaac Brock, who was the leader of the uh, Canadian forces, was killed during this battle. And there were a ton of other battles during this time, but we're only going to read those two. Just kind of give you an idea of how things were going for the United States at the start of this war. Like we mentioned, we were getting smacked from our neighbors to the north. Yeah. Bad. Like we were, and it wasn't even just, you know, close calls. It was, for the most part, embarrassing. I don't even want to say embarrassing. I think it's a little mad, but it was very bad defeats. It was very one-sided. Yes. We were getting bounced straight up out of Canada. Because like those 7,000 troops that we had were split between different areas. So it's not like they were all fighting in the same spots. Right. And 7,000 troops total was only 1,000 more than they had defending like one post on the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. So you're sending like maybe a quarter of that 7,000 to go fight one battle against like one of these garrisons that's 6,000 strong. So numbers are not in your advantage. Morale is not really in your advantage. Money is not in your advantage. <laughs> no. You really don't have any reason to do any of this, except for the fact that you thought you were just going to have a welcome party when you got to Canada. Yeah, so the country was in complete economic depression. Um, the entire northern half, specifically the northeastern part of the country, won't join the war. Yeah. We were down quite bad. Well, in Britain, it's got like 235,000 like ready people to fight well most of them are fighting in the napoleonic wars obviously mm. that's kind of a big deal yep but like you said seven percent so you take seven percent of that almost two hundred forty thousand. that's still like twenty thousand people yep and that's just people that they can will like willingly send in addition to help to the people that are already here yeah so yeah not good and they've got like a thousand ships we've got like well, we have <laughs> yeah. maybe 20 yeah so <laughs> it's not great so at this point, it's not looking great at all for the United States of America. Scales are very much weighted against us. But this all would begin to change with the Battle of Lake Erie. And that is where we will leave you bum, for bum, this bum, week. <laughs> Give you a little, little glimmer of hope. Will they do it? Will they pull out a victory? 
Find out next week on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> After we've like trash talked to the American forces the whole time. I honestly think half of this episode was just us ra- just dragging the American forces. Hey. <laughs> USA. 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 Yay. Hey, but we won medal count at the Olympics this year, so let's go. At both of them? Did we win the winter one too? Yeah, I think so. Well, we are leading for like the longest time, so I'm assuming we did. But I all don't know. we do is win, win, <laughs> win, no matter what. But yes, th- thank you guys for joining us for part one of the War of 1812. Well, this was this was a lot of like setup stuff, but I think mo- like most people agree that the setup is kind of the most important part of this whole thing and the aftermath. The war itself is like it's there. It's like yeah. it's three years of fighting that really didn't accomplish much in the long run. Nope. But we'll get into that next episode. So, do you want to know how the people can find us? Yes, Evan, tell them how they can find us. You can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history. You can find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco. Then you can find myself at whatevskis. Also, you can find us on Instagram at gems underscore of underscore history underscore podcast. And then finally, you can find us on TikTok at Gems of History Pod. Yeah, and if you want to email us, you can email us at Gems of History Podcast at gmail.com. But that's all we got for you for this episode. Hopefully, in the next week or two, we will have some updates on the podcast as a whole for you guys. But that's, that's in, in waiting. It's waiting in the wings right now, but we're working on it. And. Then we might have some more merch for you guys. Merch? Oh, boy. At a time like this? So look forward to that, but also look forward to part two of The War of 1812 coming at you next week. Everyone have a great week this week, and we will talk to you soon.